Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. Good morning, sheep. Bah, right? I had the uh, strangest thing. Let me, I have cookies with me. I had the strangest thing happen in the first service. Some of you know this, and I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit today, but uh, I am a diabetic. I've been a diabetic since i been in my 20s, um, we have it in our family. And I'm teaching this morning in the first service, and I have a monitor, and my alarm goes off. And I look at my alarm, and my sugar is like at 50, and it's pointed straight down, and I'm like, Houston, we have a problem. I've been injured, so my injury finally kind of healed, so I was at the gym heavy this week. So I'm trying to balance, again, insulin that I take with working out and stuff like that. So in the middle of the service, I'm looking around thinking, what, do I, what am I going to do? I got nothing. I look over, and Khaki's sitting over here. I go, Khaki, I need you to get me a cookie now. And she's like, I'm like, no, this is not funny. I'm talking, it's now. I said, and she's walking, I go, pick a good one. And she did. She brought two really good ones, actually. And then you eat it, and then your sugar comes up and all the stuff. It's weird, but... Um, I remember I was talking to my, um, my endocrinologist, and he told me this. He said, he said, you are part of a world now that most people aren't a part of. He says, now you can monitor your blood sugar because 90% of the people on the planet have no idea what their blood sugar is. He says, so this is what you need to understand when you're looking at your blood sugar. He said, you're going to have highs and lows. There's ebb and flow. Everybody's got ebb and flow with their blood sugar. It goes high, then your insulin says, oh, it's high, or your pancreas says it's high, then it produces insulin and it pulls it back down. He says, don't when your insulin is, or when your sugar's high, don't start throwing insulin in your body and bring it down because then you'll just go straight down. He said this, and he has a cool accent. He says, give yourself grace when it comes to your sugar. And I went, hmm. I think maybe there's a sermon in there. Um, I don't know if you're built like me, but every once in a while, I don't give myself grace. Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit today when you talk about peace because I don't know if you know this. Grace and peace are connected. They just are. In fact, some of you are here today, and, and one of the things that God whispered into my ear in the first service was this. Um, one word, contentment. Some of you are here this morning, and you're not content. You're troubled because you've allowed the enemy to, to put things in your heart that keep you unsatisfied. One of the benefits of following Jesus is that he satisfies our soul. Everything you need, everything you want, he's the source of satisfaction for all those things. And if you live a troubled life where you're never satisfied, you're never content, you're always looking over the fence, or you're always wishing that there were things that were more, that's a troubled life. And you know what you don't get when you live a troubled life? Peace. By the way, that's not the life that Jesus promised you. He said his yoke was easy and his burden was light. So if you're here this morning and you're troubled, you're flustered, maybe even angry, I want to encourage you. Lay those things at the feet of Jesus. Some of you here now, and you're all worked up, you're all hot and bothered because of you have relational strife over things that are dumb. Let them go. Think about the things that we allow to fracture us as families, as churches, as people. So do me a favor, shut your eyes for a second. If you're here and you need peace today, Ask the Holy Spirit right now. Say, Holy Spirit, will you make me content? Make me satisfied with you. And give him permission to show you all the things in your life that are keeping you out of alignment with the heart of God that brings you peace. He speaks those things not to put you down. He speaks those things to bring you into alignment. 
There's a difference. Take a deep breath. Breathe them in. All right. Let's get going now. You could open your eyes. I lost 20% of you. Some of you are like, you said shut your eyes, Pastor. I'm excited. I love um, the Christmas season. One of the reasons I love the Christmas season is it's one of the times through Advent where the church, the majority of the church, we're all on the same page, the church, the big C, the church of the world. Uh, so this morning, today, there are millions of believers talking about peace. I think just to inject peace into the world today for us as believers because of the season will make some type of an impact. Um, Choose today to be part of the solution, not the problem when it comes to seeing peace on earth. So um, I'm reminded at that, that, that time, that season, that you know, peace for us is one of those things that we, we do when we shine. We show the world that there's something different. Um, because our goal is to bring light in a dark world. Light always dispels the darkness. You light a candle in a dark room, the darkness runs. It just does can't help it. Just, it just runs. I remember, um, I don't know if you guys realize this or not, for some of you that are, that are hunters, do we have any hunters in the house? We have, we have deer season that's happening you know, around us right now. Uh, I am an old hunter. I don't get to hunt anymore because October, November, December are kind of bananas for us as churches. Um, but I, I do welcome some of your bounty <laughs> brought to my table. I'm okay with that. Uh, the, the last time I was able to go hunt with my family, we, we had a little hunting camp up in Smithport, PA. Um, it was us and my, my cousins and stuff like that. We would go up, we'd have Thanksgiving, and then most of the time the, the family that didn't hunt would leave, and then we'd go out Monday morning for deer in Pennsylvania. And um, I remember uh, the last time I went, it was a real special time for me. Um, everybody in our family had their little hunting spots, and mine was always hit or miss. Uh, my cousin Andy had the best spot, though. There was this huge rock. We had this thing, we called it Cardiac Hill because it was a big mountain. And he sat on this huge rock that overlooked this entire valley. And he would just sit there in every, every season. He would just shoot the biggest, tastiest, fiercest looking buck. Because these things would just walk through the valley and he just had the greatest shot. Patoon. So that year, uh, his wife was pregnant and she was ready to deliver at any day. So he, can, he couldn't go hunting. So I got the rock. They said, TJ, you can sit on the rock. I said, that's sweet. Now, I don't know how you hunt. This is what we would do. We would pick out our spots. And then on opening day, we would, we would sneak up to our spots under cover of darkness, and the goal was to be in place when the sun comes up. And then, you know, Bambi would come by, then you'd shoot Bambi, and then you'd eat Bambi at a later date. Is that the progression? I think it's the progression, right? So I remember that morning walking up there, and it was probably about 3, 4 in the morning. There's no, the moon was, was clever, it was cloudy, so it's pitch black. And I remember with my little flashlight, my little flashlight, you know, headlamp, which is, I think are hysterical, especially if you wear a headlamp. How many of you got headlamps? It's great, you know, until like you get freaked out or scared and all you see is just like, you look like a Muppet running around. <laughs> so I make my way up to the big rock. The rock was cool because it, it overlooked everything. It was huge, about the size of this, this part of the stage. And it had a stump right in the middle, so it was like a backrest. It was like the greatest thing ever. My cousin Andy really took care of this rock. And I remember getting to the place, and it was still pitch black, and the goal was to just sit there and to become one with the forest so that, you know, no creatures would be alerted to my presence. So I'm sitting there, pitch black, holding my 30-06, and I realized something in that moment. The woods, pitch black at 4 in the morning, is a creepy place. You hear noises. 
like, like, you know, branches break, leaves rustle. And it could be anything. It could be a squirrel. Could be, you know, you know something rummage around. Or it could be something like, I don't know, something like that. <laughs> I don't know. And I realized this. At night, the night distorts everything. I said this last week. You know, the night, you know, it turns, you know, you know the, the little, you know, bunnies into Sasquatches. You don't know what's going on out there. And I remember me, I had a really robust prayer time that morning. Me and Jesus were talking. I'm like, oh, God. Please, if that's a Sasquatch, let him be a vegetarian. <laughs> you know, it doesn't like Greek. Please don't let him have tasted sucking the Greek before and go, oh, I know what that is. Get the rest of the family. And I remember the weirdest thing happened. I'm sitting there, and, and the rock, the valley, pointed down into the east. So I saw the sun come up. And it was a beautiful morning. I mean, it was just beautiful, crisp, cold morning. The sun came in. It shot through the, through the, you know, through the, through the clouds. And it slowly started to illuminate the entire world around me. What used to be darkness and obscure and scary became clear. And about 10 minutes after daybreak, a big buck comes in. And it just kind of stopped in front of me about 20 yards away and did this. And I thought, okay. And it only took me four shots to put him down. <laughs> With a 30-06. Blam! 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 <laughs> just to be safe. My dad looked at the media. He said, did you have like a machine gun up here? What, what happened up here? Light always dispels darkness. Light brings clarity to what we do and what we see. How many of you know it's hard to see in a dark world? Can you blame our world that lives in darkness when they fail to see the light when we don't shine? How are they supposed to know? What are they supposed to do? Do you understand when we fail to shine, when we fail to be the church, we're the ones that bring light in the dark world. If we don't shine, if we don't do our job, if we don't illumine creation, how will they know? We're the ones that, that blaze the trails for people to come back to God. Here's the reality, beloved. All of us shine something. We all radiate something. So the question is this, what are you shining? As believers, we're called to shine Jesus. We're called to radiate the kingdom. That's what we've been talking about this last month. Last week we talked about what it looks like to be people of hope. We as the church, we're not the chicken littles on the planet. We are the beacons of hope. We tell people there will be better days. Take a deep breath. The sun is coming. It's going to be fine. When we start to be doom and gloom, and for years, guys, the church, we have taken the posture of doom and gloom. That's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to establish the kingdom now. So we show people. I love what Tyler said. You know, we teach people. We invite people to experience God's love, power, and presence. I remember like, when I first went to, to school, I didn't grow up in, in, in this movement. I grew up in the Orthodox Church. Our music in the Greek Orthodox Church was slightly different than what you experience today. You know, we did do a lot of chanting and all that stuff and, and all that stuff. And I remember one of, there was an old hymnal to church that I was at like my freshman year. I opened it up. And one of the songs in the old hymnal, I don't remember the name of it, but, but the, phrase, the, the phraseology was this. It, it said this, hunker down, Jesus is coming, just hang on. I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to be a part of a church that's got their head down going, just stay low, Jesus is coming, we're all going to die. Does that sound like abundant life to you? Does that sound like what Jesus promised? If that's what he is, I'd like to get off that bus, please. Right? So we need to be people of hope. Today we take another step. We look at what it means for us to be people of peace. 
Sometimes we forget this. When Jesus came to us, Emmanuel, God with us, he brought with him peace. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. We're not going to live here. We're going to launch from here today. It's a great story. You've probably read this a thousand times. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Verse 9, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Verse 11, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you'll recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in snuggly strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Verse 13. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. I love the fact that God deployed the armies of heaven not to lay waste to a fallen world, but to, to sing and announce the birth of hope the birth of the solution. God doesn't just focus on your sin. He brings you the solution. Do you understand that? That's a heavy thing for us, beloved, but he does. So the angels declared peace on earth. What did they mean when they said peace on earth? How many of you know that peace on earth is a pretty big deal? How on earth can we think about peace on earth when we struggle to have peace even in our families? I don't know about you guys, but the Harris's, we have a thing, we, it's called family game night. Do you guys have family game nights? So we have the Harris family game night, and we also have games that are no longer allowed to be played at Harris family game night because we can't handle them because it makes our people go nuts. One of those games is Monopoly. Can I get a witness? Has anybody on family game night had one of their family members flip over a Monopoly table or something like that or point at another sibling going, you're cheating, right? That's one risk is getting to be a close second. Toby doesn't like risk because he's always the first one out because he thinks we gang up on him. The truth is this. He's not a very good strategist. So if you're ever invading Toby land, it's pretty easy to take. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. If we don't have peace in our own families, how can we have peace on the earth? Some of you struggle to have peace in your families now. Some of you dread the holidays because you're going to be with those people. Your people who God gave you that are image bearers just like you. Peace. Peace. And let's just be real. It's hard to be at peace sometimes with the people that are closest to us. Why? They know you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. They know you and you know them. Um, so do me a favor. During the holiday season, I want you to give a gift to yourself and a gift to others. The first gift I want you to give yourself is this. The gift of grace. You are not perfect, and you don't need to be perfect. You be you. You are a work in progress. You are a masterpiece. Give yourself some grace. Some of you feel pressure through the holidays and pressure with your family that comes from you. So I'd like to give you some incredible words from the Disney movie Frozen. <laughs> let it go. Let it go. I don't know the rest of the words, but that's all we need. And here's the other gift. I want you to give that gift of grace to others. They don't have to be perfect. Some of you have allowed things to fracture your family that are petty and dumb. Let them go. Peace 
Relationship is more important than being right. You don't know what they did to me. You're right. It's funny when you, in the Lord's Prayer, you know, we forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Vengeance is the Lord's, not yours. One of the toughest things about being a fully devoted follower of Christ is allowing God to fight your battles and allowing Him to inject the vengeance, or to inject the vengeance that He wants to, not, not you. I would be a terrible God. Right? Be a t- anything that's low fat would be gone. <laughs> right? I'd be a terrible God. Grace. So we're called to be people of, of peace, and we're called to shine and radiate peace in our house. Everything we do starts inside our house. It starts with you, then it goes to your primary relationship, and then it goes out from there. But then we're called to be people of peace, people that radiate peace even outside of our walls. As if doing it inside is not tough enough, we're supposed to be doing it outside. And this is the weird thing about, about people on the outside, people in the world. They like to test us. And people have the ability to push your buttons, right? Um, and it's, isn't it weird that all these people that you struggle with on the outside, they're not even related to you, know how to push every button that you have? It almost makes you think that maybe the problem isn't with them, but it's you. But I don't want to talk about that today, right? I remember, um, and I mentioned this earlier, I'm a diabetic. I've been a diabetic in my 20s. And, and it's always a, a, an interesting balance for me of, of insulin and what you eat and stuff like that. Uh, I'm insulin resistant, which means my, my pancreas makes it, but my body doesn't know how to use it. Um, so it's weird. So I've, I'm used to uh, giving myself shots. I take about five, six shots a day. been doing that for years. And it's kind of cool to see how things have evolved. I now have these insulin pens where you just dial what you need, you stick it in you, and then you're good. Before those days, though, I had, I had vials and needles. Have you ever had to do anything with vials and needles? Like, you know, I'm on MASH or something like that. I don't know why you'd give me that stuff. And I would get frustrated. I was, uh, we were in Denver, and we were part of a, a health system called Kaiser Permanente. And, and Kaiser was a one-stop shop. So you went to the doctor there. You did all your pharmacy stuff there. Everything was great. And I had this weird thing happen. I would have my vials of insulin, and they would also give me a prescription for the needles that I needed, and I'd get my needles. Stuff I had. But the needles were never enough for the insulin I needed to take through the month. So I'd always be six to ten needles short every month. I'd get frustrated. So I call into the doctor, and the doctor said, we'll take care of it, and they never took care of it. So I'm there waiting one day there, and it's a long time. I'm there waiting. It took me about a half an hour to get in line to wait for everything. So I go up to the counter, and I get my prescription, and I go sit down, and I do what everybody does at McDonald's when you go through the drive-thru. I stop, and I look to make sure I got all the fries and everything that I need, right? And I look in there, and I, I realize that, that they did not put in the proper amount of needles. So what would happen is this. I run out of needles before the end of the month, which means I can't take any insulin. It's weird because you can't, like, suck on an insulin bottle to get the insulin in you. Can't do it. So I was frustrated. So I got back in line. I waited another 20 minutes, and I thought, I'm going to go to the same lady that I went to before. And, again, I was more upset with my doctors, but she was the focal point of my disgruntledness. So I got up there. And I said, ma'am, we have a problem. I said, I don't have enough needles again. I'm going to have to be here again in, 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 in 21 days. I'm not going to have enough stuff. I've talked to blah, blah, blah. I said, I need you to help me, blah, blah, blah. And I give my rant and I lay it on the table. I make a great case. And she goes, sir, you're going to have to take that up with your doctor. And I went bananas. I don't get angry or upset, but I went, I was like, listen, this is dumb and blah, 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 blah. And I start going, and this is, and I'm just trying to do the right thing. And I can't, I did the whole insulin. I can't suck on insulin. I did the whole thing. 
And it was great, and I got done, and I'm, I'm like, eh, and I'm like, bye, everything's done, great. And she looked at me, she goes, well, Pastor Harris. And I went, <gasps> she knows I'm a pastor. How did she know that? She goes, well, Pastor Harris, it's not very nice of you to treat me like this. And I went, well, um, how do you know I'm a pastor? She says, I was in your church about six months ago. You buried my Uncle Dave. And I knew Dave very well. And I thought, I don't remember seeing this lady. And I looked at her and said, oh, she was there. And she says, um, you know, she goes, I was at the funeral that day. And I heard you. She goes, I've never been in church before. And I thought to myself, if I ever go back to church, or if I ever go to church, maybe I'll stop at this church. She goes, but after my encounter with you today, I will never be in your church ever. And my heart just sank. So I got online, sat down. I was upset with the world. I was upset with myself. I called my doctor. He said, I'm sorry for the oversight. I'll call it in right now. I was like, thanks. So then I sat there, and I had to get in line again. And the Holy Spirit started to talk to me. I don't know how the Holy Spirit talks to you. Sometimes the Holy Spirit, when he talks to me, he's very gentle and loving. Sometimes he talks to me, he's like, Hey, jerk. <laughs> hey, big, fat, Greek jerk. And I felt the Holy Spirit kind of nudge me. And he said, son, you, what you, you know what you need to do. And I, I said, Lord, I, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. Have you ever bargained with God? I said, you're probably right, but let's just, let's just take another step. I said, how about this? I'm going to get in line again. There's six people up there. If I happen to get that lady then I'll, I'll fall on the sword again. But if not, I'll take it as your will that everything's fine and I'll just leave. So I'm up there and I'm counting while I'm in line. There's no way I'm going to get this lady. And then next, it's the lady. I walk up to her. I said, I'm, I'm here for my, my needles. And I said, before you do that, I said, I'll tell you something. I said, I, I'm going to ask your forgiveness. I said, I was a jerk. I said, I acted like an idiot. I said, I'm sorry, I'm frustrated. But that's no excuse. By the way, that's how you own things. Owning things is not saying stuff like, I'm sorry you feel that way. That's not owning anything. If that's your number one go-to, grow up. Own it. So I owned it. I said, I'm sorry. I was a jerk. Um, I'm trying to be better, man. And she looked at me. and She said, well, she says, I'm sorry too. She says, I deal with a lot of, you know, nasty people. And I'm thinking, like me, <laughs> that day. And she goes, I'll tell you what. She goes, I told you I'd never go to your church. She goes, because you're saying this to me now, she goes, I'll be at church on Sunday. And I'm thinking, I'm never going to see you. She and her family was at church on Sunday. Grace. Shining outside. Now, what's crazy is this. That was a public thing. I was there with like, I don't know, 50 of my closest friends. I'm sure at some point, all of her people, all the workers there talked to each other about the jerks that have to come get their prescriptions. Everybody that was in that waiting room, they all saw it. Everybody was a part of the whole thing. When you have bad situations, if you step into them the right way, you can start to shine. We illuminate the world by how we act, by the things that we say, the things that we don't say. So here's the big question today. And this is where I want us to launch today from is this. How do we as believers live in personal peace? And then how can we take that personal peace and put it on display so that we can illuminate our world with peace? We can make our world a better place. If you've got your Bibles, flip to John chapter 14. We're going to launch from here today or live in here. Again, if you have our app, you get all my notes. If you have the U version of the Bible, look for live events, look for Trinity, and you get my notes. John 14, 27. These are the words of Jesus. It's a great passage. Anytime Jesus is talking in the Scriptures, listen. 
Some of you got Bibles and this is in red letters. If it's the red letters, listen. John 14, 27 says this. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. I want to read the same passage from the Passion Translation because I just love how it flowers this. John 14, 27 says this. I leave the gift of peace with you, my peace. Not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace. Don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. Don't you love that? I don't give that mamsy-pamsy fragile peace of the world. How many of you know that the world's peace is fleeting? It's fragile. You may have it today. There's no promise you'll have it tomorrow. And then this passage also tells us we don't have to be troubled or to be afraid. So what do we learn from this? What are some things that we can hold on to to help us to be people of peace? The first is this. Peace is a gift you have to receive. Just because it's available doesn't mean you have it. Just because it's available doesn't mean you use it and you operate in it. For example, how many of you have treadmills at your house? Isn't that the most expensive thing that you hang clothes on that you've ever purchased? Right? You can even put a quilt on there. Your treadmill does you no good if you don't get your tuchus on there and start walking. Just because it's available doesn't mean you use it. Peace is the same way. As believers, you can walk in personal peace, but you have to use it. You have to pick it up. You have to allow it to develop. It has to grow in you. Sometimes we forget this. Peace is not just a state of mind. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a promise from God. So because it's a fruit, we know this. The closer and deeper you are to God, the more peace should be able to develop in your life. So what's the issue? How can we be a believer and not have peace in our lives? You know what the issue is? Intimacy. Some of us have not gotten past this understanding. There's a difference between having the form of Christianity and being a friend of the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between form and friendship. If your faith is built around doing all the right things, saying all the right things, looking all the right ways, but you're far from God in your heart, the Spirit cannot produce what He wants to produce in your life because you're all form and you're no connection. You'll have a form of godliness, but you'll be missing the guts of it. You won't have any power in there. You need the guts of it, the stuff that, that happens on the inside of you that causes you to grow and causes you to become. Now, what's crazy is this. Most of the time, we don't realize what's inside of us until you're put in pressure situations. When you're in a pressure situation, what's really deep in your heart pops out. That's why when some of you hit your finger with a hammer, you know, hymns don't pop out. Bam, joy to the world. Other things come out that aren't that great, right? Like a jack-in-the-box, we just don't know. It's when those things happen that we find out if we've got just the form of Christianity or if God's you know, actually operating inside of us. The Holy Spirit's at work in us. If you want to walk in peace, you have to be yielded and empowered by the Holy Spirit. If not, it's just form. And form will leave you bankrupt at some point. Paul talked to Timothy about this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He gave us this warning. 
And it's, it's not just about the world. It's also about us as churches to make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing. We understand that the Holy Spirit's the one that brings transformation. He said this in 2 Timothy 3. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God. Disobedience to their parents and ungrateful. Children? Sorry, was that in there? Okay. They'll consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They'll slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. Verse 4, they'll betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pressure, pleasure rather than God. Now look at verse 5. This is the one that, that, that speaks deeply to our hearts. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Don't just be concerned with the form. Be concerned with the guts. Be a friend of God. It's the Holy Spirit, the power of God that transforms us. God wants to move you from form to friend. I grew up in form. I grew up in, in the Orthodox Church. And let me tell you something. As great as your form is, the Orthodox Church is great. We got all the smells and the bells, baby, right? But apart from the intimacy with God and knowing who the Holy Spirit is, it's cold and it's dead and it's not enough. When we're intimate with the Spirit and yielded to God, the Holy Spirit is able to develop fruit in our lives. It's a spiritual thing. Galatians 5, and 23 says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. One of the things that I do almost every day is I, I've memorized Galatians 5, and 23. And I pray every day, Lord, develop in me love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Let that fruit grow within me. Every once in a while, if I'm brave enough, I'll say, Lord, how am I doing in the fruit category? And there, we're, because we're becoming, there's always something to work on. Now, when God speaks to you, he doesn't speak to you with condemnation. He speaks to you with conviction. The Holy Spirit, doesn't, he, he convicts you. Condemnation says you stink, you're terrible, you can't do this, you're a loser. Conviction says, son, daughter, you can be better. That's the voice that we follow. All of the fruit of the Spirit comes from being connected with God, intimacy with God, friendship with God. Psalm 25, 14 says this, only those who stand in awe of the eternal will have intimacy with him, and he will reveal his covenant to them. Intimacy has privileges. John 15, 15 says this, the words of Jesus. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father has told me. You and I are friends of God. So it's from that place of friendship and intimacy that we produce a life of peace. By the way, don't forget this. Fruit, how many of you are fruit bowls at your house? Got a little bowl, you got a little fruit in it. You know, isn't it great how, you know, the teenagers, the people that live with you, take all the good fruit? You know, they grab the kiwis, they grab the bananas, they leave you the old apples that are kind of moldy and looking at you like, right? Thanks, kids. Why do you have a fruit bowl in your house? To share it. Fruit is not just to be kept to yourself. It's meant to be passed along to share with others. 
That's why it's one of our big three here at Trinity Community Church. We love God and people extravagantly. By the way, I got to tell you this. Last night, Saturday Night Lights, you guys knocked it out of the park. We had the largest um, pre-registration we've ever had ever. And with all the lights, we had the lights, cookie creation stations, uh, crafts. I talked to two families, and both of them said the same thing. They said, the thing that blew us away more than anything was how your people loved us when we got here. Good job. So we love God and people extravagantly. We're committed to growing in our faith and helping others to grow in theirs. You cannot be stagnant and be here. You know, you're committed to growing in your faith and bringing something along. And then we're committed to sharing our, our, our faith and our lives with others. This is why we serve. This is why we do everything. We share our stories. We share our lives. You know, we're getting ready to have a third service here in February. So that means this. For us, I hope that's you, Roger, not me. <laughs> I heard his alarm go off and I started to twitch. So you're going to start to hear this phrase over and over and over. Serve one, attend one. Serve a service, attend a service. Do you know how you can show Christian love? Helping somebody else to grow. Get you a tetanus shot and go serving kids ministry. I'm being real. We got some biters. I'm being real. Serve. Share. Share the fruit that God's given you with others. Share your life. Share your gifts. Don't be independent. Don't be self-focused. Don't let it be all about you. So that's one of the ways that we can share peace. You pick it up. It's a gift. Pick it up. Receive it. But not only is peace a gift, we can't forget this, and this is where we drop the ball a lot, beloved. Peace is also a choice. We choose to operate in peace. Look at the verse again, John 14, 27. I leave the gift of peace with you, my peace, not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace. Now look at the back end of this. Don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. Whose choice is it to yield to fear? You. Whose choice is it to be troubled? You. Jesus admonishes us. He says, don't yield to those things. Be courageous. Anytime life hits you in an unexpected way, beloved, you have a choice. There's times you don't have a choice about the situation. It hits you like a rogue wave, and it's just right there. You may not be able to choose the situation, but you know what you can choose? Your response. How people treat you is no bearing on how, you know, how you treat them. Just because they chuck a spear at you doesn't mean you pull one out of the wall and throw it back. I told my kids that forever, and they hate that. But, Dad, I just want to punch them in the nose. I understand that, sweetheart. Oh, sorry. You know, you know which kid it is. <laughs> Oops-a-daisy. She wanted to be a judge, my little righteous one. You can choose to yield to fear. You can choose to, to yield to trouble. You can choose to freak out. Or when calamity comes, you could take a step back into the Holy Spirit, make a choice, and operate from a place of peace. Sometimes we think that peace just happens, beloved. Peace just doesn't fall from the sky. It's developed by the Holy Spirit, but peace for us is an action, and it's fueled from our connection with the Father. When you choose peace in, in the midst of chaos, something else happens that's crazy. You know what happens? You shine for others to see. Why did you do that instead of this? I would have punched him in the nose. We don't do that. 
Let me introduce you to a guy. This, this, this guy, his name is Matt Paula. We used to call him Crazy Matt. He was at our church in Denver. And uh, let me tell you my first encounter with Matt. I was teaching on the Father Heart of God, a full church. At the end of the church, or the service, I was up at the altar, and Matt came up. He says, he says Pastor, can you pray for me? I said, absolutely, Matt. I didn't know his name. He said, sir, come on up. He came up, and he was mumbling. And as he was mumbling, I got really close so I could hear him. And when I was getting closer, he reared back, and he punched me as hard as he could in the head. I fell back on the stage because he punched me in the face on a Sunday. I expect a lot of things. I don't expect to be punched when I'm up here. I fell back. All of my, my elders went, <gasps> nobody did anything except one of my worship leaders, Jade Anderson, who is a, 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 a fierce lady, stepped off the stage. I'm not making this up. My kids will, will, will and Robin, they'll tell you it happened just like this. She grabbed Matt by his throat. She walked him like this, like the Terminator, to the back wall. He was powerless. She held him up against the, the back room, and she's like, boys, anybody going to help me? And this is at the end of the service, and I'm thinking a couple things. One, never mess with Jade. I thought about that. And, and the ushers go back there, and they're, and they're wrestling with him, and he's getting crazy. He guess it stop. I said, do me a favor. I said, just go sit in the cafe. I, I want to talk to you. Don't leave yet. Now, that was not normal for me to do that. I just felt the Holy Spirit said, don't throw this kid away, this guy away. I said, okay. I don't know why. I was still reeling a little bit. So we got done with service. You know, a couple of my, my elders like, well, you don't need to talk to him. We're going to take care of him. I said, no, I got to talk to him. I don't know why. So I went to the cafe. And he was sitting at the table, a big table. I sat on the complete other side, out of his reach. I said, hey, um. I said, I don't think we had a, an opportunity to, to properly introduce ourselves. I said, I'm TJ. And he goes, I'm Matt. And he actually said, he goes, some people call me crazy, Matt. And I go, I can see why. I said, Matt, why did you punch me? And he started to cry. He said, before I came here, my son called me. I found out that I'm going to have a granddaughter. And my son told me, you will never see this girl. He says, I'm disowning you. I don't want to be a part of you anymore. I don't want you to be a part of the family. Um, you're dead to me. And he just started to weep like a baby. And it was weird. I didn't say he was in the first service because I was having sugar issues. Uh, I went over and I actually held him as he sobbed in my arms. And something weird happened. We got done and I said, Matt, I said, I know we, we got off to the wrong, off on the wrong foot. I said, but I would love to see you here at Mosaic next week. And this crazy thing happened. He came. I said, we're going to put some rails on it. Like, you can't come beyond the fourth row. <laughs> Figure at least I got time to at least brace myself for what's coming. Matt became a, a vital part of our church. God touched him, restored him. Matt was one of the guys when he prayed for people, eight out of ten people that he prayed for got healed. And the coolest thing about Matt, I ended up doing his funeral. He died. Um, the crazy thing about Matt was not only did God restore Matt, he restored his relationship with his son, and he was a part of his granddaughter's life. Everything he wanted came. Now, in that moment, I got to be honest with you, man. I mean, I wasn't thinking about peace when he, was, when he punched me. But what was in me rose up, and it gave enough pause for the Holy Spirit to speak. And the crazy thing was this. Not only did that affect me and Matt and our relationship, but everybody in the church of the day that witnessed that saw practically 
how peace can illuminate and change a situation. I had numerous families come up and say, man, we've never seen anything like that before. This stuff must be real. How you respond to trouble, beloved, is a big deal. The things you say, the things that you do, it's all a big deal. You're always going to face trouble. You're always going to face people that are going to push your buttons. Always. How are you going to respond? You can't dictate the trouble, but you can dictate your response. Will you respond in peace? Now, I know it's tough. Because let's just be real. We live in tension. This is the tension we live in. The tension of who we are now and who God created us to be. And between those things, there's a gap. You know that, right? What makes up the difference in the gap? Do you know what makes up the difference? Grace. I mean, we're new creations in Christ. We know that. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. So we start new, but we bring with the newness some of the old tendencies, some of the old man, the old TJ. And God loves us so much, he doesn't leave you in your brokenness. His heart is to walk with you in this process of transformation, to become new. But how many of you know it's a process? And then the enemy, gosh, is he crafty. He is so crafty, he likes to get in there and mess up the whole process. He's the one that whispers in your ear. Have you ever heard the enemy whisper in your ear? He usually whispers two things in our ears to get us to derail. The first thing he whispers is this. He reminds you of all of your failures and your brokenness. Have you ever heard his whisper? Anytime you fail, anytime you step back. I mean, it works. Why does it work? Why is it so effective? Because our transformation is an instant. It's a process. And you need to be able to walk in grace and, and see grace. You have to have grace for yourself. This is why we discern and we, we lock onto the voice of the Holy Spirit. And we know what, what Jesus sounds like and we know what the enemy sounds like. The enemy brings condemnation. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. Why? Conviction brings change. Your convictions, they hold you steadfast. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. You know the day you're going to be perfect? You know what that day is? The day you take your last breath here and your first breath in heaven. Up until that point, you're going to become like God. We have a big Christian word for that. You know what that word is? It's called sanctification. Hallelujah. Some of you are like old school you know, Bible people. He said it, sanctification. Hallelujah. It just simply means this, to become like God. That process will continue until you die. You'll never be fully like him, ever. So you need to have grace for yourself in the process. You need to have hope in understanding this. God has brought you too far to leave you where you're at. Give yourself grace for the process. Philippians 1.6 says this, I am certain that God who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it's, final until it's finally finished on the day when Christ returns. He's working on you, baby. As long as you, you move forward, you just you let him work on you. So he whispers that in your ear. He whispers, he reminds you of your brokenness, of who you are. But you, that's why you put on the helmet of salvation. You ever wonder why the helmet's the helmet of salvation? To guard your mind. To say, no, no, you are saved, you are beloved, you are a child of God. It protects your mind. Salvation protects your mind. Have you ever thought that? You think God just was throwing stuff against the wall? No. Put on that helmet of salvation. No. Enemy, this is what God said to me. Well, stick that sucker right on there. 
And the second thing he whispers is this, and this is, this is dangerous too. He doesn't just remind you of your failures, but he reminds you of all the failures and the brokenness of others. You have to be careful on how you see people, how you view people. We are all image bearers, and we are all in process. All of us are somewhere on that line of sanctification. Beloved, we don't operate in spiritual levels. We operate in love. That's how we function. That's how we flow. This is why not only are we always pouring into people's lives, but we need to have people that are pouring into our lives. If you don't have somebody pouring into your life, there's a problem. Why? Because you can veer. We have blind spots. And you can move from righteousness into pride in just a, a blink of an eye. How do you know if you've moved from righteousness into pride? You start to look down on people. You start to separate yourself from people. Paul, more than anything, when he addressed the New Testament church in the New Testament, the biggest thing that he continued to harp on and zero on always was division. Division always comes from pride. Itself is in there somewhere. I'm right. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm right. They did that. I do this. Selfishness. Pride. We obliterate that. That's why we don't, we don't push things down. We celebrate the uniqueness of each other. Look around. We're one big, beautiful, weird, dysfunctional family. And that's okay. Jesus said that they'll know your mind by how you love each other because they'll look at you, the world will go, how are these guys getting along? Just Jesus, baby. Just Jesus. That's how we shine. Ephesians 4, 2, and 3 says this. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. I love that peace is the binding agent that holds us together. The enemy does whatever he can to move us from a place of peace. Why? You know why? Because peace for us, if you haven't heard anything I've said today, listen to this. Peace for us is the soil for revelation. I had a good friend who's gone on to be with the Lord now, uh, John Paul Jackson. He, he used to always say this. Peace is the potting soil for revelation. What is revelation? Am I talking about the end of the book? No. Revelation is this. God speaking to you clearly. When you're at peace, you hear God clearly. You see him clearly. You're able to operate the way he wants you to operate. That's what made Jesus unique and special. He could hear God clearly, and he just did the will of the Father. Jesus didn't have his own agenda. He simply did the will of the Father, and he was at peace. <laughs> it's a great ringer. <laughs> From the day I was born. <laughs> it's a great ringer. <laughs> That's a great ringer. Second, I'm sorry. Second Timothy 1.7 says this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. When you're in peace, you can move in power, you can move in love, and you have soundness of mind. You're not moved. So here's the big question. Do you live your life from a place of peace? Or are you troubled? Are you anxious? Are you irritated or are you afraid? And do you know what you're shining to the world around you? Are you radiating peace? 
Bow your heads real quick. Talk to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me. And he hears you. He hears your voice. You are heard. You just ask him. Say, Lord, am I operating from peace? Am I radiating peace? And if you're not, ask him. Say, Lord, will you show me what's going on in my life so I can be in alignment with your heart? It's a fruit of the Spirit, and He wants you to have it. So talk to Him. Listen to what He tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.